Chapter 7. It is the middle of technically Friday morning, late Thursday night. I have been in jail for probably two hours. I'm calling everyone I know just because I don't want to sit there in silence. The silence was so eerie. There was not a lot going on. Occasional footsteps, the light fixture buzzing. And what's so funny is when I first got in there, I was thinking to myself, you know what? I'm just going to stay in here all weekend. I'm just going to be by myself and work through some things. I really thought that I wanted to stay in jail all weekend because technically I could have been released. If this had happened on a late Wednesday night into Thursday morning, I'm pretty sure I would have been able to be released. But since it was technically a weekend, you cannot leave unless you get bonded out. So while I'm in jail, it's the middle of the night. My whole family is conspiring and they're figuring out a way to get me out. My dad ended up coming up with the money to bail me out of jail. He got a bail bondsman. I called him probably every 30 minutes and I was like, what's going on? What's going on? I was so mentally exhausted, physically exhausted because I had not yet gone to bed yet, emotionally exhausted, feeling like the world just came crashing down. This was my ultimate rock bottom. I had been in rock bottoms before. Yes, I had been in a rock bottom when I got divorced. I had been in a rock bottom when I lost my job. I had been in a rock bottom when my mom died, but nothing like this. It was a culmination of all those rock bottoms equaled this massive rock bottom. So my dad had told me I paid the bail bondsman. He's processing everything. He's getting it all figured out. And I expected it to be, I don't know, an hour at this time. I had assumed it was the morning. I had no idea what time it was. I didn't have any windows or light. I just kept using up those minutes and it charges people. Obviously when you call them, it charges them. But I was like, I do not care. I just kept calling people every 30 minutes, every hour. And I was like, what is happening? Please tell me. Finally, I think I was in there eight hours. I could not stand a minute more. The fact that I thought I was going to stay in there all weekend really is hilarious to me. So they say I can leave. I put all my stuff back on, all my clothes back on. How you walked out of the jail is you walked out and then you had to go up this ramp. And so I'm going up this ramp and it's so bright. It's I think it's 10 a.m. And all I see is this big, tall, beautiful blonde girl and this man right beside her. And I'm just like covering my eyes like I had just been in a cave for years. And it's my friend whose house that I was at. She somehow figured out I was there and then the bail bondsman. So I meet up with them and she is like, what the hell happened? So I have to go over the paperwork and everything with him, figuring out what it all means. I was supposed to have a court date on that next Tuesday, but since I got bailed out, I didn't have to go. If I would have stayed in there until Monday, I would have had to go to that court date, which I will get to this in a second, but it was a blessing in disguise that I did not have to go to that court date because I do not know what would have happened. So it's a Friday afternoon. I'm piecing my life back together, going back to my friend's house, calling people. People knew what was going on, a couple of close friends. I didn't really know what to do from there. I didn't want to go back to the house and I legally could not go back to the house. So for 72 hours, you are placed on like a temporary VPO if you get arrested for domestic violence or something like that in the state of California. So I legally couldn't go there. I have some mean threatening 
messages from my ex. So I'm dealing with all of that. I was very, very scared at this time. I didn't know what was going to happen because at this point I had like an open case. He could have pressed charges on me, which my God, this sounds so silly saying all this. Like, I just can't believe that was my life at that point. Okay. Back to it. I knew at this point that ignoring him was the best strategy. That sounds bad to say, but I was like, I know that drives him crazy when he's trying to get to me and he cannot get to me. So I ignored him, no contact, no words, no nothing for five days. After the third or fourth day, he started to come around and be nice as he always would. So it was getting emails from him saying, I'm so sorry. I can never push charges on you. I love you. I knew I was like, I just can't respond because he'll come around and he'll come around and he'll come around and I need him to not press charges on me. So finally, after day five, I agreed to meet up with him after several back and forth messages with a messenger, essentially a lady that worked for us was being our messenger. And she was like, he's not going to do anything. The VPO is, is not active anymore. He just wants to meet up and talk to you. I mean, she wasn't pressuring me. She wasn't trying to convince me of anything, but she was just like, I'm just relaying what he's saying because you have blocked his number. You're not responding to his emails. So I end up after day five, I think it was day six, ended up meeting him on the beach. I broke down immediately as I saw him. Have no clue what my life is at this point. No clue what is going on. I felt like I had just kind of semi-climbed, know, a very tall mountain just for someone to push me right back down. That's where I felt like I was. We, I guess, made amends, said sorry. I went back to my friend's house. I stayed there for another week. He wanted me to move back in. I was very torn. I knew this was a toxic, very bad, emotionally abusive relationship. I knew that. But I also had nothing else to my name, and I was very scared to leave that comfort, even though the comfort was not great. It wasn't a good situation, but it was still comfort. You know, comfort shows up in many different ways, whether it's good or bad. And so that was just the comfort that I've lived in for so long that I was like, I just don't have any other option. And looking back, I did have an option. I could have moved to my granny's. I had all my stuff packed. I think I had like $1,000 to my name in my account, not his account. So I technically could have made the move in January of 2020, but I chose not to. There were a lot of words exchanged from him, obviously sweet talking me back into it. Again, being in the vulnerable state that he wanted me to be in at all times and at his mercy, it made me stay. I knew I was going to get a lot of backlash, a lot of grief from my friends and family for making this decision. So I had to make it look as sweet and juicy as possible to make it look convincing that this is the good decision that I needed to make. So I wrote all my friends and family a letter just apologizing, saying, I'm so sorry for the drama that was caused. We are going to go to church. We are going to turn our lives around. And you know, we're both at fault. And I just drafted up this letter and I just sent it out and I was like, this is my decision. I don't know or care what you think, but I just have to do what I have to do for myself. And that was really the end of it. From there, it was back to business as usual, back to working on the business. There's still a lot of stress going on with that. The money situation was just so up and down all the time. Since I didn't go to that court date initially in January, I had a court date set for April 28, 2020. And I didn't know what was going to be going on at this court date. I think the only way the court date was going to happen is if he pressed charges. So I knew from January to April, I had to be in his good 
graces. I had to suck up to him as much as possible because I could not let him. That was the the big thing he had hanging over my head is he could snap at any moment and choose to randomly press charges during that time. And he could, he could do that. I knew that I had to just make it to April and be in his good graces. I was really counting on some more money to come in because I really just wanted a good chunk of change in my pocket around April when all that happened. And I could just, this sounds so bad, but I had to strategize my life, how I was going to get out of this situation. I knew it wasn't good. I knew that. I was very aware, but I also felt very stuck again. I had made myself stuck again. So January goes by, February goes by, and as everyone knows that is listening to this, the whole world stops March 2020. I vividly remember I had a trip that I was going to book to Oklahoma the end of March for my sister's birthday. And when all this started to happen, I was like, oh, great, I have to cancel my trip because this stupid little virus is going around. And I guess, you know, travel's really frowned upon. So I didn't go. I didn't really have to be there. So I canceled that. And then things just obviously started getting worse. We had to go buy gloves and masks and wear them to the grocery store and things started shutting down left and right. They closed the beaches down. We lived 50 yards from the beach and I could see the beach. I could see the ocean, but I could not go on the ocean for two months, which was insane to me because our town was so small. There was hardly anyone that lived there, but we could not go on the beach. I really took quarantine and being isolated in the house as a way to really dive deep into my emotional work. Really, really, really deep. I was journaling every day. I was meditating every day. I was doing breath work every day. I was reading a book a week. I started a yoga certification course. That was the best thing ever for me because that catapulted my growth out of the situation that I was in. There was still a lot of stress. There was still a lot of fear. There was still a lot of anxiety. So for two months, while we couldn't go to the beach, I worked out every single day in the house. I was posting daily videos on my workouts, which kept me accountable. It was super fun. I quadrupled my clientele that month. And I don't know, I was was feeling better. I was feeling like myself. I was feeling busy. I was feeling motivated. I was feeling I had a purpose. And the mental and emotional work really grounded me. And what started to happen was when all of my trauma and all of my limiting beliefs about myself and all of my and all of my healing started to happen i became more aware i was more aware of what was going on i was more aware of the person that i was with i was more aware of how he was i started to really pick up on a lot of things that have never popped up in my life before and i remember telling him we were in the car going somewhere one day and i had just read a book called guilt shame and anxiety by peter bregan and i just said i think i have a lot of shame And reading that book made me realize I had a lot of shame. Growing up, I I had to really hide a lot of things in pursuit of not looking bad, not getting made fun of, trying to be perfect, not getting in trouble, pleasing my parents. And so what came up a lot for me was shame was number one, which is the number one most negative emotion you can feel that really, really, really digs its claws into your life in every single aspect and can really hinder you in a lot of places. So I was starting to learn how to release shame and get rid of shame. And then there was guilt. I had a lot of guilt from my mom of I could have done more. I didn't stop it. What could I have done? And then all obviously all the anxiety. And I think a lot of my anxiety came from the current situation that I was in. So I was really starting to become aware of these negative emotions that I had never ever took part in even getting to know. And in my opinion, this is the very first 
first step to your healing process is just becoming aware. Becoming aware that you do have issues to work on, you have trauma to work through, and that's really all it is. It's just you're aware and like, oh shit, okay, this sounds like me, and that's not a good thing to have. Dealing, you know, learning how to deal with all this stuff and going back through my journal prompts, I can totally see the shift of at the very beginning when I first started journaling. It was so much desperation, so much fear, so much anxiety about everything every single day. Then when I started reading more and learning more and meditating more, you can really see a shift in my journal prompts as like, oh my gosh, I realized this today. Oh my gosh, I realized this today. And that's what really happened to me during 2020 in quarantine. So April rolls around. It's getting closer and closer to the court date that I'm apparently supposed to have. One random day, he just gets a phone call and I hear him talking and I knew it was the detective or the cop or whoever it was. He pretty much just said, sorry for the inconvenience. That was just a really bad night. We're all fine now. We worked it out. I'm not pressing charges. That felt like a huge weight off my shoulders. And I said, okay, I have nothing holding me back now other than my own self and maybe a little bit of money. But there was still COVID and the world was still shut down. So I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to stay here. It's not a bad situation. I live on the beach. I can see the beach. I'm just going to stay here through summer and I'm just going to make a plan to eventually get out. Since the world shut down, ever since January 2020, I moved back in. We got back together. I was with him 24-7 every single day, hardly ever not being with him. Plus, I was doing all the inner work. Plus, I was doing all of this self-awareness and emotional healing. So what started to happen was that I was really, really over the situation. I was really like, I need to get out now. August 2020 rolls around and Rachel comes back into town to Oklahoma City from London. And I just booked a trip. Obviously, I'm, I see her every time she comes. But I just told him, I was like, I'm going to Oklahoma in August. And I didn't even give him an option. I think I just bought the trip. When I went to Oklahoma and I was away from him for about a week, I have never felt so much relief in my entire life. Being out of that situation, being alone, making my own decisions. He's not controlling my every move. I was just like, this is how I need to feel all the time. And I know I need to feel all the time and I'm ready. I am ready. So Rachel and I spent an amazing fun week together. I even rescheduled my flight a couple days later to come home. I just didn't even want to leave at all, but I knew I had to go back and face this situation. I fly back and I get in late 9 p.m. He picks me up. We go home. I go to bed. I wake up and it is just physical anxiety in my body being like, do it now, do it now, do it now, do it now. You know, when you just have that feeling that you cannot shake, that is literally physically pulling you to do something or telling you to do something and it just has to come out. So I was being weird all morning and we went to run errands and we were in the car and he was like, wait, what's going on with you? Are you going to tell me what's going on? And I was like, let's just run our errands. We'll talk about it when we get back. So I land at 9 p.m. By 1 p.m. I am sitting him down telling him I am breaking up with him. That is how much I cannot stand it any longer. At first he was confused about what was happening and they started to come to terms and then he was like, you can't leave me right now. It really wasn't a good timing or situation, but Honestly, I did not care. I knew I had to do what was best for me, and that was to get out of the situation. This was the very end of August 2020. A week later, I had a flight booked. I had all my stuff packed. I had it mostly in boxes because the only thing I owned was clothes and shoes. I had a one-way ticket to Florida. Finally, 
to stay with granny, something I probably should have done in January, but you know, I'm grateful for the time. I'm grateful that I stayed. I'm grateful that I played that out. I'm grateful that I stuck it out. I'm grateful for the grit and the resilience and the persistence and the dedication to myself that I had during that time. Because had I gone to Florida, I really don't know if I would have worked on myself as hard as I did being locked down in California, where obviously the restrictions were much worse. So I don't think anything happened by accident. I think it was all meant to be how it played out. So beginning of September, 2020, I moved to Florida. I stay with my grandma because my grandpa had passed away previously a couple of years ago. She had an extra room. She had an extra car. I could just really go there, start over, start fresh and rebuild my life from there. I was so grateful for her for the first couple months. God, she was my saving grace. I had a lot of different kinds of breakdowns. Again, I was 30 years old, going to live with my grandma with essentially nothing to my name except clothes and shoes. Didn't have a car, but I knew that was a better place for me to heal. I still had a lot of healing to do, but that was just a more safe space for me to do so. We had a lot of talks. There was a lot of crying involved, a lot of what ifs, ups and downs, the unknown. I hate the unknown. And she was so patient with me. I mean, if anyone knows my granny, they know how awesome she is. She's like my best friend. So like we could talk about anything. The best part about moving to Sarasota, Florida was I already knew two people that lived there. They were friends from back in Oklahoma, one of which I've known since I was two years old. And then he married someone that was friends with my brother. And we were all just friends. They were mainly my little brother's friends, but I knew that they lived there. I didn't really know anyone else that they were associated with. So I was like, well, that's good. I at least have friends. So the very first weekend I was in Florida, my sister actually came and visited. It was Labor Day weekend. So we met up with those friends on the beach. So I was like, hey, April's in town. I'm here. Are you guys doing anything? Like, yeah, we're going to be at the beach. So we meet them at the beach. We get there, we start talking. And I just randomly blurt out, yeah, I live here now. And they were like, what? You live here? I was like, yeah, I live here. Just very nonchalant. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.